Well, good morning, everybody. If we've never had the chance to meet, my name is Chris Blake, and I get the opportunity to serve as one of the elders here at uh, LCC. And we are going to read uh, together out of the book of Luke in chapter 4. So I'd encourage you to start making your way there. Uh, but before we read, uh, I just wanted to take a minute to follow up on what Daniel uh, shared about last week. And, and I'm sure you're, you didn't remember exactly what he shared last week, so you're like, I got it. But just in case it might have slipped your mind between last week and this week, we thought we'd touch on it one more time. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff happening here at Life Community Church that's been going on over the last year, six months. So if you're, if you're relatively new to us, you know, welcome. Uh, God's doing some things. We're holding on the best we can and making changes as fast as we can to keep up with what he's got going on here in this church. Uh, one of the changes that's happening, you just heard CJ uh, share about, which is some changes going on in our high school and youth ministry. So we're changing nights. But uh, the overall summary is that we keep having more and more kids show up. And uh, that's a good problem to have, by the way. And, uh, but as talented and as gifted and as wonderful as CJ and PETA and, and our current leadership is, uh, the long and short of it is, is that we just need some more hands. We need more hands on these nights to love these kids who keep walking into our door. So we're just making an invitation the last couple of weeks to say, hey, maybe this would be where God would have you serve, you know, in our church. Uh, I had the privilege of spending 12 years in youth ministry, got weekly over those 12 years, spending a couple nights a week with high school, middle school kids. And I can just tell you, there's no more formative time in the faith life of a young person than those years, right? They're, they're trying to make heads or tails of all these things that are now kind of coming to light in their world as they're entering teenage land. And, uh, and so to get to the opportunity, the privilege to walk alongside them during these years and be Jesus with skin on for them as they're encountering this stuff, is like nothing else. You get to be this visible image of this invisible God that they are trying to find, and at that point, the most challenging season of their life. So if something in you right now is, is kind of stirring, or as you've been hearing the last couple weeks, um, you're like, hey, I, I could take some time on a Wednesday night and invest my time and my heart and my love and, and some of these uh, high school, middle school kids, um, that, that's not your breakfast stirring, that's not the breakfast burrito, that's not the triple shot latte you had. Um, maybe it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you that this might be where you serve. And so if you have any questions, you know, definitely find CJ. Uh, you, can, you can find uh, Pastor Brandon. Ask, you know, a middle school kid, high school kid, you know, about how to get involved. Find whoever you need to find uh, to learn more. And as has been said in the past, just encourage you to come and see. So now I invite you to, to go to um, Luke chapter 4 with me. And we're going to read verses 1 through 21 uh, together this morning. And so here we go, chapter 1, or uh, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days. And when uh, they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and, was, uh, and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And, they, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Another Sunday as we celebrate Jesus risen from the dead, reigning and loving that day when he comes back for us. We have, we have some work to do and we have an enemy trying to distract us. We have some headlines that, that many have been reading and I'm sure you're aware of by now. Russia invades Ukraine and there's a headline that read 13 soldiers said an expletive and were killed. Only days later, the headline was replaced with another headline that said, hey, these 13 soldiers are alive. Everything's great. So that's a, another story for another day. But the reality is there's headlines all over the place that get our attention, grab our attention, and take us to places telling us narratives. One breaks our heart. The other, we're overjoyed. And then we ask questions. What, how did that, what happened? The enemy, the true enemy brings headlines, brings accusations to Jesus here, and continues the narrative to distract Jesus from his mission and distract us. Now, some of these headlines aren't all true, but they're, they're funny. There's a rally against apathy draws small crowd, one headline read. Another headline said, woman accidentally joins search party for her own self. And as we see the world getting more and more crazy and logic has gone long ago, are we letting God write the headlines? Are we letting the narrative be shaped by our view of Jesus or is the enemy? Is Satan continuing to, to write the headlines of, of your story? And, and we see in Genesis, he came to Eve and wrote a headline for her to read. What did God do to you? He put you in this God-forsaken place and told you if you touch this, you'll die. How horrible. What an evil and conniving God deal. What? Who? No, that's not true. The headline distracted her from the truth. The true headline read, what has God done for you? Look at all of this. He gave you and provided for you and protected you and gave you Adam. And look at all that God did for you. And look at what he's doing with you. This is amazing. He even warned you, don't eat of that tree. How good is God? That was the true headline. But Satan 
being crafty and deceitful, wrote a new headline, a lie. See, we can't always change our circumstances. They are what they are. Gas is a dollar or so more. We can't change that. But it's our perspective. It's, it's the headline, the lie the enemy tries to sell us. We can, we can reject that and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Seeing and hearing the true reality that's before us as we fix our eyes on Jesus, allowing him to change our perspective. Too often, we're defined by what we do or what we don't do. Too often, Satan comes with a, a headline that says, yeah, you're a liar. You, you're, you're, maybe you're addicted to a substance. Maybe that's who, you, and, and he starts to say, yeah, you could never be healed. You can never be loved. You can never be helped. That's just who you are. You're a lost cause. Maybe you have a name. And it's, it brings up hurt because maybe you're named after your dad who left and you're like, I never knew him. What do you do? You know, so many of, of guys especially find your identity in your occupation. That's not who you are though. And, and thankfully we see Jesus comes and endures this, reminding us, hey, just because I was born in this family, I'm actually a child of God. 100% man, 100% God. And yet, enduring everything we endure, showing us our true identity is with our Heavenly Father. Showing us our true identity isn't what we do or don't do. Jesus did some amazing things, but he wasn't just a teacher or healer. He was God incarnate in offering us adoption to be adopted as sons and daughters, not just giving a new name, but having a new nature, 100% God, that spirit is now in us as believers as we believe, as we were supposed to have that relationship with God, as we were supposed to before sin entered the world and separated, the true headline is you've been redeemed, you've been bought with a price, and you have a new nature. You're not just to be better, but to be new and to be renewed. And so Satan wants to distract from that reality. He wants us to see the lie and the bad headlines because there's no salvation for Satan in, in the fallen angels. There's no way for them, even though they sinned and fell from heaven, like we sinned as humans, there's no savior for, for Satan and the angels. So they're jealous and they're envious. And he, he still has some power, but nothing compared to Jesus. We see these three points in this passage. Jesus' word has power. Jesus' word has power. He's, he's fasting for 40 days. I don't know how long you fast. Believe it or not, you actually fast every, every day. Some of you, maybe it's three hours. Some of you, it's eight. Some of you, like my youngest daughter, she loves to fast for at least 14 to 15 hours, if you let her. It's when you sleep. And then you wake up and you have your first breaking of fast. You breakfast, right? You break the fast. That's where breakfast came from. Some of you, you're all into the, the, the fad diet thing, you know, you intermittent fasting. You, you don't eat till lunch, which I was like, oh, that's what I always do. And I just put a name to it. Cool. Now I have a reason to not eat much for breakfast, if anything, just coffee. The interesting thing, 40 days. Have you ever just not eaten for 40 days? Well, that's a fun thing to do. Let's do that. He's hungry. That's an understatement. I can imagine Luke just giggling as he writes that. 40 days without eating? You've got to be kidding me. He's starving. He's losing his mind. And yet he has full control of his mind in his hunger, and he continues to be able to be I am, right? The Word. Jesus is the Word, and he became flesh. So we see Jesus literally is the Word, the creation 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, He's the Word. He is here and His words have power because instead of trying any other way, He just simply speaks God's Word to refuse and reject Satan's lies. Satan's headlines, trying to get him distracted, trying to get him focused off of the truth of what he is and what he came to do. So we see Jesus' word has power. Second, Jesus keeps his promise. And third, Jesus' purpose is revealed. So we see in Jesus' word has power. First, Satan comes and says, hey, you're hungry. Why don't you just use your power and make, make these stones turn into loaves of bread? And while you're at it, make them a little warm, kind of lightly toasted, and, and put some butter on them. And if you're like me, I think Satan would have said, hey, get some of that blackberry jam, put that on there too. But Jesus says, no, 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 Satan, you, you're confused. You, you're lying. The, the, the reality is I don't live, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. That God's going to provide for me when I need it. Some of you are like, I think he needs it. It's been 40 days. When I need it, on God's timing, not when I want it. And that's so hard because as, as selfish, selfish sinners, humans, we want it now. We don't want to wait. That's why they invented credit cards, buying on time. Because we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait for God to give us what he would deliver. And sometimes it's no for now, and sometimes it's also no for never. And God's like, I'm your source. So we live on the words of God, which is Jesus. He's like, no, I'm trusting God here. It's his timing. Secondly, he's like, all right, you're trusting God. You want trust and power. Well, I actually have been given all of the earthly kingdoms and power if you just would worship me. Verses 5 through 7, and Jesus responds, no, I worship God alone and I serve him. Worship and serve. Isn't that true? Satan's tagline is, if you just worship me, I'll give you what you, your heart's desire. Because for some of you, you're like, no, he's, he's fully God. Why would he, he already has power over Satan, right? Because Satan is not God's enemy. Satan is God's creation who fell with a third of the angels just like humans fell in sin. Only humans have a redeemer, have a savior in Jesus. Satan doesn't have that. There's no salvation for demons. They're damned into hell forever. There's no hope. So hurtful people, hurt angels are going to hurt people, right? That's all they know how to do. There's no hope or healing for them. And so he's like, all right, I got power here. Just worship me. And Jesus says, no, I worship God alone and I serve him alone. And thirdly, he challenges his identity. He says, hey, look at Jerusalem. You want to worship God? You want to serve God? Let's see how good God is to you. That lie from the beginning. Look at what God's done to you. He brought him out. It says in verse 1, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't halfway, three quarters. No, he's full tank of the Holy Spirit. And where does the Spirit take him? Out into the Judean wilderness. Google it. Watch. It's terrifying. I didn't want to give you any nightmares, so I didn't show you any pictures. But being there in a bus with air conditioning, driving through there, I was, t and I'm pretty positive. Like, I'm always, the glass is not just half full, it's overflowing. Like, there's bountiful possibilities. There's no chance for anything to ever go wrong. That's how my outlook is. And I'm positive all the time. Being there, I was so depressed. Just driving through the world, there's so desolate, it's so bare. It, it makes, you know, like California Valley look like a tropical paradise. It's so desolate. And that's where Jesus was for 40 days. I mean, talk about despair and depression and, and just nothing barren. I mean, there's very few living animals that would even choose to live there. It's, it's not possible. It's just nothing. And, and here he's like, hey, you want power? You want, you want praise? Here, 
you're going to trust God. I'm going to take you up to the highest place because we all know God's word says if you, he's going to send his angels concerning you. He'll take care of you. Just jump down. And Jesus says, no, 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 you, you have it wrong. That's a wrong headline. That's a lie. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We see that Satan then retreats, verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus, there'd be no reason for Satan to come after Jesus if he wasn't human. If he was God, because God created Satan and he knows there's no, but he's fully human and fully God and temptable. He's able to be tempted. I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it up. It's free. No royalties will be collected on that. Satan is a defeated foe. He's completely helpless, but he's hurt and he wants to hurt and distract Jesus because he's like, hey, I got to stop him. He's up to something. I don't know what, but I got to distract him. Here's a new headline. Read this. You're hungry. Feed yourself. You're human. You want praise. You want worship me and serve me and I'll get, nope. Okay. Well then just test God. Get you to sin. Your identity is not enough. You need to earn it somehow. You need to prove it somehow. You need to test it. See, Satan attacks even though he's conquered. He knows that he can't win, but those that are vulnerable, those who are an empty vessel, demons will fill. And so, as we see the day drawing near, the need is ever clear that people need to know Jesus because they're open to the attacks and schemes of the enemy. And it's only in the power and authority of Jesus' name. Think about that. Jesus just spoke scripture and Satan shut down even though Satan was twisting scripture. So Satan knows God's word and he twists it. He, he, he puts a different headline, a false headline that sounds good, looks good, but isn't good at all. It's twisted. And it's in Jesus' name alone that he casts out demons and he rejects Satan. So he goes from this to his in, in the power of his word, he's like, oh, I'm going to go to church. What better church to go to? His hometown, his home church where he grew up in, I'm going to go share. Now that I have the Holy Spirit, you guys remember last week, he's like, hey, check out my Facebook feed. I got it all documented. The, oh, the heavens open. My dad shouted out, hey, what's up? That's my son. I love him. Listen to him. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So it's like, no question, if you're doubting the whole John the Baptist doing somersaults when Jesus came in the womb of Elizabeth and Mary, where the Holy Spirit was at that point. No, God made clear, and it's on Facebook for all to see and hear, boom, Jesus has the Holy Spirit. He has had it, he continues to have it, and now he goes to church to tell everyone about it. Only the church was like, kill him. Imagine that headline, right? Traveling preacher nearly escapes death. It's like, what did he say? All he read was the scripture that was handed to him. And he, as tradition, the traveling rabbi got the opportunity to read the daily reading. It was already scheduled. In God's sovereignty and his providence and his plan, that day, scripture reading was planned for Jesus to walk in. He opens the scroll and he reads these words. From Isaiah chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he 
rolls up the scroll, hands it back, and sits down because that was the scripture reading that we do still. And then the preaching, the teaching would be seated and everyone would be sitting on the ground at the teacher's feet. That's where that phrase comes from. So he preaches the shortest sermon ever and says, I'm, that's what I'm doing for you and that's what I'm doing with you. Sermon over. I'm doing it. In fact, you've been hearing me do it because the rabbi that would teach on Sunday, the community would be watching. So when he taught on marriage or he taught on finances, the community would watch how he treated his spouse or how he handled his finances leading up to. They would know, oh, but Rabbi Jesus had been traveling around and word had been spreading around, right, to the whole region of all the miracles and the things he'd done. So when he walks in to the church and says, yeah, I'm doing that, everyone's like, I know and I'm mad. Because you're not doing it for me, or you're not doing it for, or I don't believe that you can do that and claim to be God, because you're, you're, it's all a gimmick, it's all fake, and you're just trying to make money off of me, and I'm already poor. What are you talking about? You came to help the poor and preach good news. I don't get it. And so they're like, we need to kill him. When he's saying today, not in Isaiah's day, but in their day, on that very day, as you listen right in front of you with my words in person, not secondhand, but For you to witness and see, this scripture is announcing God's salvation that he promised. That Jesus has come to give. The scripture is the announcement of God's salvation promised long ago. And it had been fulfilled, completed, brought to pass, come true. The people enjoyed the sermon, especially how short it was. But they hated Jesus. It says right away, after he says, hey... You guys for sure are going to wish I'm going to do the crazy things in Capernaum I'm going to do here for you. But instead, you're going to say, heal heal yourself, physician. But it's going to be like the day when Elijah could have been to to all the widows and he went to one. And it's going to be like when Elisha could have healed any leper, but he, he healed the Syrian, the invading king he healed the guy that's your enemy he healed him and didn't heal anyone else so they got so mad because he's saying basically i'm going to do some amazing works proving i'm god but i'm not going to do anything for you because in your hearts he could tell which is amazing like what kind of mystery of a teacher to to call out each one of your hearts and how you're against him and he's like you're just so your wrath is blood is boiling you want to kill me and he's 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 kind of just saying bring it on so right after that, they, they get up and they push him out of town to a cliff to push him off and kill him. And he does some, some crazy kind of like Star Wars, this isn't the Messiah you're looking for, and just walks through the crowd and they don't, they don't get to kill him. It's like, what happened there? Like, you read it, it just says, I can just imagine Luke's like, wait, tell me that story again, Paul. Wait, hold on. Like, what, what happened? Like, where the disciples, they saw this, like, but passing through their midst, he just left. Imagine the crowd's like, wait, where'd he go? He was right here. What? Aren't you, what'd you do? Is he on the, no, he didn't fall off the cliff. What happened? You think they would have probably prayed, maybe repented and been like, okay, I might have missed something. But no, the headline that Satan had been telling them, they believed the lie that this can't be God. Even though Jesus is saying, look, I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I'm doing what this says. And they know. He's been preaching good news to the poor. He's been going to the outcasts. He's been giving sight to the blind. He's been doing exactly what Isaiah said he would do. But they think it's by the power of Satan. 
And so Luke's telling us, no, this is a human being that is also God, and he's doing these amazing works through the power of God because it's the Spirit of God that's in him. And so we need to see that that's clear. Just like when they saw, they said, no, this is Joseph's son. There's no way this could be the Messiah. They missed the fulfillment of Scripture because they couldn't get it out of their heads. This isn't just their hometown carpenter's son. This is fully God, born of a virgin, 100% man, 100% God. And when Jesus heals, there's no, there's no fakery. There's, there's no traveling sideshow. There's no, no one coming out with, with a documentary on how his ministry was false and he abused people and it was all a lie and a sham like we have now of all these mega churches doing these healing ministries and everyone's like, yeah, it was a joke. He just paid me a million bucks to say I couldn't walk and then I walked and it was great. And the lights and the smoke tricked you and the music was super good and world-renowned. So they, they, pulled a, they pulled a fast one on you. That's, that's not what happened. Everyone that was healed genuinely, truly was healed. But there was still a second death they had to face until they knew that Jesus was the Savior that would remove that sting of death. And so we see it goes from nearly avoiding death and he goes into Capernaum where he was telling them, I'm going to go do some amazing things there, and he's preaching there and teaching, and everyone was astonished, verse 32, which is a great parallel to his hometown that's rejected him. And then verse 33, a man walks into church who is demon-possessed, and everyone's like, oh man, Uncle Fred's here, this is going to get awkward, poor Jesus, feel bad for that traveling preacher, how it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, Jesus, Jesus hears the demons say, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's interesting. A demon proclaims truly who God's identity is, and Jesus in his hometown church wanted to kill him. And then Jesus says, essentially, shut up and leave. He says, be, be quiet and get out of him. See, the, the plan for, for rabbis was you had to do the name and you had to find out when they came and it would have been this whole process and if there's more than one demon it might not even come out and it would hurt him and hurt the rabbi it'd be a mess like an exorcism is just crazy and, and, and difficult and sometimes if the, the rabbi didn't have enough authority or enough teaching he couldn't exercise the demon so there's a lot of that's why everyone would have been really on edge like oh man Uncle Fred's here this is awkward and Jesus instead of figuring out when Fred played with the Ouija board first, or maybe it was aunt that did seances and Cambria and crystals and where this started. And he just said, hey, be silent, leave. Let's get back to business. And the demon leaves. And everyone's like, what? He just had authority, but this is a new authority. Like he didn't have to do the whole steps and judo and this and that and get a bunch of people to hold Fred down and get the deal. Like none of that. He just said, be silent and leave. This is true authority. This is a new teaching. And they said in verse 36, they were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. As Christians, we need to consider how the demons obey Jesus. Are we quicker and more joyful in our obedience to Jesus than the demons? I mean, right away, he's like, hey Jesus, what's up? Are you going to hurt me? Oh, okay, I'll leave. As Christians, are we that joyful and obedient to say, okay, Jesus, where are we going today? Oh, you want me to share the gospel with him? Okay, right away, yeah, here we go. Oh, I got all day, I'm not in a hurry, I'm not rushed. Let's... 
oh, you're right, I did sin. Let me confess my sin. Thank you, Spirit, for revealing that. I'm going to not do that. I'm going to repent and change. Jesus, the Holy One of God, another way of referring to Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen Savior of the world. How much more should we who've been loved by God, saved through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, willfully, joyfully, submissively obey God? Where the demons have to. They don't have a choice. Because of the authority of God, they have to leave. We as humans have the blessing to believe and have that new identity that exchange take place where now we're in Christ, the new creation. Now we can think and, and desire and act like Jesus as the Holy Spirit empowers and gives us wisdom to see how to live and go and proclaim the gospel. We have that benefit. The demons have to leave and there's no savior for them. There's no relationship. I don't understand religion because it's all control. It's that, it's that overarching authority telling you what to do and what not to do and I, I'm not smart enough to be religious people will tell me all the time oh you're I'm not religious like I'm not either I if it wasn't for Jesus blood I don't know I'd be living in sin and to be miserable but thankfully Jesus saved me and I have a relationship with him and the spirits in me guiding me leading me it's this, it's this relationship thing I don't know and every time someone tells me about Lent it's a whole new take or it's like oh yeah every third Friday we get to get drunk it's great I'm like what kind of a Lent do you do oh well it's this new teaching this Pope said we can eat meat and, and drink all we want on Fridays or Thursdays. And then this other third week, we get to do whatever we want that whole week. We don't have to give up anything. It's like, yeah, the Jesus I know said that I don't have to give up anything. I have to give him my whole life. The Jesus in the Bible says you have to be crucified with Christ, and it's not you who live, it's, it's Christ who lives in you. So there's, why would I give up something that God gave me? That's why Jesus says, what do you, later on we'll talk about, he's like, look, yeah, these disciples have to fast, but why would you fast? Why, why at a wedding would you be sad? Why are you, when the bridegroom's here, we celebrate, but I'm not always going to be with you. But the thing is, the Spirit's in us now, so we don't have, we don't have to self-discipline to try and earn God's love. We already have His love. We already have Jesus in us. His Spirit's in us. So, so the headlines that we have to focus on when you're serving in, in youth ministry and a teen comes and asks for help to escape addiction and the healing process begins, we see the Spirit doing that. And that's the headline that God's gospel brings. That the, the, the proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This isn't, this isn't despair and discouraging. This is to bring hope to the hurting and, and the helpless. And when a hurting woman cries out to God to finally find freedom and forgiveness because she, she'd been hurting and her identity has been trying to be found in all the things in the world, and then she finally realizes, I'm crying out to God, and I have this new identity in Christ. That's the headline of the gospel. When a church member says yes to serving and kids or youth ministry and is excited about changing all these people's lives and then ends up realizing that their life was changed. We've all heard the, that headline before. When someone's like, I'm going to go on a mission trip and I'm going to do this great thing, and they come back and they're like, yeah, I, I actually just had my life reorganized and my perspective changed that's the headline the gospel brings that's the headline of, of Jesus changing our perspective we can't always change our circumstance but we have to be focused on Jesus and his purpose in our lives and a life group member gets diagnosed with cancer and close friends rally around and trust God for a miracle 
That's the headline that the gospel brings into our lives every day. But Satan knows that that's a potential headline and he wants to distract us with a lie. So what challenge are you facing? What change that you want in your circumstance that you just can't, we can't fix gas is a dollar. We can't fix different things, but we can change our perspective as we look to Jesus. As we see Jesus' word has power against the enemy, Jesus keeps his promise that the gospel is true for you, and he's come to bring it to us, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And lastly, that Jesus keeps his promise. As Jesus kept his promise that he was going to come and bring the gospel, and lastly, we see that his purpose is revealed. Jesus' purpose is revealed. After he casts the demon out, he goes to Simon's house and sees his mother-in-law there sick and he rebukes the fever, casts it out, and right away, as Jesus just said, I worship and serve God alone. She gets up and starts serving people. And I always thought maybe she just, that was her nature, just she had to serve and was a servant. But I realize now it's probably because she was worshiping God for saving her and she's like, I gotta serve. Because there's all these people here, and then we read later, everyone hears about Jesus there, and they're like, oh, he healed her, sweet. So they bring all their sick and their demon-possessed. Now, I don't know about you if you're outgoing or introverted or, or what, but being somewhere all night, even if you're just like playing a board game or hanging out, that can be tiring. Imagine if you're Jesus, fully human still, casting demons out of people all night long, and then people are bringing sick people to you, and he's, he's casting out all the sickness and he's healing people, everybody. This is an amazing thing. His purpose, he has a healing ministry and everyone finds him the next day because he's exhausted and he escapes. He's like, I need some peace and quiet. I just need to gather my thoughts and pray. And whoo, again, fully human and yet fully God. And he says to them, look, I, I know what you might think. This is a great opportunity to make a lot of money and tourism industry would boom, we'd get all these people coming in and I'd heal people. My purpose is to preach the gospel to the whole world. My purpose is to preach the gospel to the whole world. And so Jesus comes preaching the gospel. The signs are to confirm the gospel's true. Everything he does supports who he is. That's why Satan wanted to stop him with a false headline. That's why Satan wants to distract you from being the son and daughter of the king to know who you are, to be confident in what he's done for you and distract you by saying, look at what God's done to you. How horrible. What a jerk God. How could he allow all these bad things to happen? Bad things only happen to a good person once and Jesus willfully allowed them. He was the only one who was good and never sinned. You and I aren't good. Every time Satan comes at us with that accusation, go, I know, isn't it crazy? I'm horrible. I'm worse than what most people think and understand, and yet God loves me, chose me, saved me, redeemed me. That's where Paul says in 1 Corinthians, yeah, you were a homosexual. You were a liar, a thief, an adulterer before you were saved, before you were justified, sanctified, washed in the blood of Christ. Now you're a new creation. You were that, and now you're new. And here Jesus said, that's my purpose, is to proclaim the gospel. This is what Paul says, which into perspective, Paul was traveling to proclaim the gospel after Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus. And he said constantly, I don't have anybody, they all left and abandoned me. But Luke, 
Luke's here. This is who wrote this to Theophilus. So Paul discipled Luke. Luke's discipling Theophilus, and he's discipling us. As we hear his words, he's saying, look, Jesus said to them in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. His purpose was to preach the gospel to the world. In verse 44, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Paul had the same mission that he got from Jesus. In Philippians 1, 12 through 14, he, he shares how he's imprisoned for his faith. And he says, look, these things have actually served to advance the gospel. And in verse 13, he goes on and says, as a result, it's become more clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I'm actually in chains for Christ. Isn't this amazing? See, he can't change his, his circumstance, but he changes his perspective as he focuses on Christ. And he says this, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord. See, his circumstance is horrible, but his perspective through Christ is that this is a blessing because more and more brothers and sisters are being confident to proclaim the gospel, which was Jesus' purpose that he gave to the church, to us. And he says, And dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That's the purpose that Jesus has, and that's the purpose he gave to us. The Romans thought that Paul was their prisoner. But Paul's perspective was that the Romans were his prisoner. He had a captive audience, even though he was their captive. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to get here, is saying, guys, I know that the healings and the casting out demons, and, and I know that, that the government has totally just taken over, and I know you want me to be your new political soldier, priest, king. I know that's kind of what, but my job is to preach the gospel to the world. And it's going to actually happen through the church. I'm going to go back to ruling and reigning in heaven, and we're going to get this done, and I'm going to come back for you. But he has to build that slowly. And so here he's saying, look, the year of God's favor, this is the day that we're in now. This is the time when we see that God's world that was lost to sin is being redeemed and reclaimed and restored soul by soul, person by person, daughter and son being brought back into the kingdom. He's like, yeah, of course it'd be more comfortable and convenient just to set up shop here and we make a ton of money. That's not why I came. I came to preach the gospel that it's not just about a healing here or a demon cast out there. It's that through the gospel, yes, we're healed and demons are cast out, but our names are written in the book of life and that gospel has to get to the whole world. And so we see that knowing Jesus' word gives us power over the enemy. The enemy doesn't have a foothold. Even though the enemy retreated and looked for an opportunity, later on Paul says the same thing a different way. He says that Satan's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we know that Jesus' word gives us power over the enemy. But believing his promise keeps us in step with his purpose. If we believe his promise that this is the year of the Lord's favor and he came to preach good news to the poor and giving sight to the blind and, and setting the captives free, then we have to embrace our purpose too. That he called us to the great commission. And how we do that is make disciples by being made a disciple who makes disciples. So the question remains, are you spiritually dead? Do you not believe you're like, I, I go to church every once in a while, I'm good. Is that, that's not good. Jesus said, unless you believe in him and his death, burial, and resurrection, 
then at the day of judgment, he'll say, away with you, I never knew you. Unless you believe that it's his sacrifice, his payment that removes sin from your life, and he'll give you a new life. And then as you have a new life, you're like a child, and you're selfish. Spiritually, you're like, sweet. As an infant, you know, I go to church when I can, but I don't need it. I, I can do church out the beach or in the woods. That's kind of my church. Or I don't really need to be around other Christians. And then as a child, you're wanting pods to always play your favorite songs. And you're like, man, I missed church once and no one called me. And you're, you're needy like a child. You know, I didn't like church today because the pastor didn't talk about God's love like I like. And pods didn't sing the song I like. And ah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's okay to be an infant. It's okay to be a child. But it's not okay to stay that way. Someone has to be pouring into you and helping you grow. And then as you grow, you turn into a young adult and all of a sudden you're like reading the Bible and praying and doing devotions and, and you probably have more questions than answers because you're learning more and then you're like, wow, I don't even, how is God 100% man, 100% God? Like I, I get that you say that, but how? Let's talk about that. You have some more questions in your devotions. And then as you grow, maybe you notice there's no really visitation team for people that are shut-ins at this church. And you're like, hey, I need to do that as you're transitioning from a young adult to a parent. And as a parent, you're realizing, man, I had to walk like two blocks to church when our church started to grow. And, and people were like, man, Brandon, I had to walk a little ways to church today. This is cool. There's a ton of new people. Uh, a, a, an infant or a child would be bothered by that. But a parent is blessed by that. It's like, wow, our church is growing. A bunch of new people. How can we help them grow? Where are, where are these new families and young families? How do I help them? And a parent would say, hey, there's a guy at work I need to try to share the gospel with. Can you pray for me? So as you look at this, this wheel, we're all somewhere on the wheel. And we've all been somewhere on that wheel. And the question simply is, who's pouring into you? Because even parents need a grandparent to pour into them, right? As they begin that journey with a child discipling them. So are you someone who needs to be poured into? And are you someone who needs to be adding value into someone's life? That's all discipleship is. It's helping them follow Christ by adding value, spending time. So are you someone who's in a position where you know you've been following Christ for some time and you need to pour into somebody else? Or are you someone that needs to be poured into? And as we think about this, Jesus came to people that were hurting and helpless. And that was his purpose. That was his headline, is I'm coming in the year of the Lord's favor to do this. And Satan was like, no, you're hungry. Feed yourself. No, you actually, you need, you actually need me. I'm Satan. You need to worship and serve me, and then I'll give you some, some kingdoms of this world. He's playing the same trick with us. You need food. I got barrel house. I got in and out I got, I got all the food right here on the Central Coast. I know inflation's crazy. You need, you're hungry. It's the middle of the day. Just do what you want to do. Build your own kingdom. Serve yourself. When, when, hey, you got the word of God. When you need something, just call out to him and he'll take care. He's God. He'll listen. He's like a genie in the bottle. He's playing the same headlines. But Jesus came and said, no, I've given you my body and I've shed my blood to save you and set you free. You're my daughter, my son. Now go walk in that power and the authority of my spirit and make disciples. Pour into somebody. Be poured into by somebody. So as we pray now, let's let the Holy Spirit guide and lead us, reminding us that we're his sons and daughters, paid for by the blood, 
and not listen to the lie of the enemy that's saying, what did God do to you? But, but say, no, look at what all God's done for me and what God is doing with me in my life. Let me share that with you. And I'll come up in a minute and close this.